All right, yes, as uh, Kieran said, there's two Bible readings this morning, and our first Bible reading is from Isaiah chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 1 to 8. Um, feel free to follow on, along on the screen behind me or on your own Bible, in your own Bibles. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And our second reading is from uh, the Gospel of Mark and we'll be reading from chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out from the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Hi, everyone. Good to be with you again. Um, if I haven't met you, my name is Mike Sams, and it's great to be able to open up God's Word with you today, uh, and particularly this uh, passage um, in, in Isaiah, and just considering Isaiah's encounter with God, because it's a little bit weird, <laughs> but it's extraordinary. So let's, uh, let's uh, uh, pray. Because this strange encounter has significant implications for all of us. Whether you're wondering who God is or you're one who follows Him regularly, it helps us align our understanding of how big our God is. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for, we, we thank you for the opportunity to come together today and uh, have fellowship. And now open up Your Word. Uh, we've had it read and now as we consider it, help us to see how spectacular your holiness is and how even greater it is that you deal with 
our lack of holiness, our impurity. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, sometimes uh, in the world and all different times throughout history, we as humans see some people very much worthy of our praise in all sorts of manners of life. And right at the moment, while it might not be you, there are literally millions of millions of people doing a lot of worship for the next few weeks up to Christmas. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's in a very strange place. It's bizarre that it's in this place, in Qatar. The World Cup is on at the moment in Qatar. And what is happening right now, if you don't care about football, is actually many people are going and worshipping their teams and praising their teams. Literally. I'm not just saying that as an example. They are chanting their names. They are saying how great they are. There's images of people bowing down to the players. But there's one player above all that right at this moment, millions and millions of people, and on some level me included, are backing are hoping will become the kind of deity that everyone says he is. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? There he is. You know, yeah, of course, Kieran does. We, we argue about football a lot, but we might have this in common. Who's that, Kieran? That's, he is, the Lionel Messi is the greatest football ever to live. And if you don't think that's right, then you're wrong. <laughs> but actually what is happening, and there's images of people bowing down and worshipping him. He is taking over Maradona. If Argentina win the World Cup this year, he will consummate his awesomeness. And there are people who are saying, I can't even be in his presence. He is so good. And uh, the, the uh, journalists who talk to these people all the time, you, you hear them talking, because I, I, I know it's tragic, but I listen to soccer podcasts, and they actually talk about, not the interview, they talk about, I got to meet him. I got to speak to him. I actually got to be uh, like within a meter from him. Literally, they are overwhelmed by it. We do that in all sorts of ways. I too, as a teenager, grew up, with someone I, not de- I dare not enter the presence of. He was so special to me as a kid. I loved him so much. If you put him up there, the, my favourite cricketer, Steve Waugh, he's just the best. And at my era, 26 years ago though, Boxing Day Test match, he couldn't play. He was injured. And as it turned out, his mother lived just around the corner from my place. And our, our street was a crescent, and in the middle was a park. And so on Boxing Day, this great man was flying a kite in the park, literally about 100 metres from my house. My whole family's go out and say hello, meet him, get his signature. I melted down. I could not go into the presence of the Great One, so I pleaded and I asked and I gave my brother the poster of Steve Warren I had and said, can you please go because I can't go and see him. I'm not worthy. And amazingly, he did. And I still have this poster today and it's one of my many Steve War signatures. But when it comes to entering, uh, to encountering the God of all the universe... It goes to an all-new level. You see, the prophet Isaiah encountered God in a kind of bizarre way, and he wasn't just too nervous. 
it wasn't fake worship of someone who is never going to be anywhere near a deity, like when we worship sportsmen or pop singers or whoever. He encountered God in a completely and utterly overwhelming, overwhelming uh, way that he could not actually process and cope with. And so today, as we see this play out, we get to consider how do we relate to God? Because actually, let's give away the big point of all, all of Christianity. The point of Christianity is to be in a relationship with God and into all eternity and be in his presence. And today we see Isaiah not dealing with that. So let's open it up and let's see what we discover about how we understand God and how big his holiness is and how fantastic he is. See, the first part, the first point I want to just highlight there is a window into the heavens is the first scene where Isaiah encounters God. Well, he kind of encounters him, I want to say. See, it's not like me just coming up to Kieran and shaking his hand and saying, hey, how are you going? Isaiah actually gets a vision of the heavens and he kind of sees God. Let's, let's have a look at it. In uh, chapter 6, verse 1, should be come up on the screen yet, great. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord taken into the heaven. Uh, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. See, he sees this vision of the heavens and he sees one who is mighty. So what does this imagery portray? A mighty, mighty, powerful ruler. He's high and exalted. He's on a throne. He's the ruler. But then I think the image, it gets a bit strange, the imagery in that last bit. And the train of his robe filled the temple. See, the temple, the, the idea of where God dwells, all of God dwells in the temple. And Isaiah sees the temple and all he can see is the robe. Not even the robe, just the, just the train of the robe. And that's filling the temple. So the imagery is a God who is so big, so spectacular, so other, we cannot comprehend. And Isaiah is just blown away by this extraordinary image. And then we read on in verse 2, and there's another world image with some strange creatures in, in it. Verse 2, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, and the words are important here, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. His holiness is his glory and it is big and it is spectacular and it is incomprehensible in reality. And what we know of it is a snippet of how big it actually is. And so you see in verse 4, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. It is a spectacular, overwhelming, so other experience. I don't think any of us have had these visions. And Isaiah needs to process what's going on. Because he's encountering a holy God. Now, what is holiness? It's, it's one of the most classic Christian words we use all the time that we kind of understand, but we kind of don't understand, I reckon. And I'm here 
I could say to you today, after many years of thinking about holiness, I still don't think I fully got it. Because I think that's the point of God's holiness. But to be holy is, at its basic idea, is to be unique. To be something other than something else. And God is that to everything else, and certainly that to His uh, creation. His creation, even who is made in his own image, he is so spectacularly other and holy uh, to us. But holiness and its grandeur has um, significant implications. I think one of the best ways of understanding holiness that, I, that I've heard is to think about the sun in our solar system. Now, the sun in our solar system is holy. There is no other. It's pretty big and spectacular. Now, when you think of the sun, what does it do for us? Not a rhetorical question. What does the sun do for us? It gives us life. We, all the climate change issues we have is because of our relationship with how the sun is interacting with us. The sun gives us life. But in its spectacular goodness, what else could the sun do? Do you know how close... Now, now, I looked this up and don't use, if you know this science accurately, this just gives the idea, so don't pin me down on the science. Have a, have a stab, I did it with my family in the car on the way here, have a stab, how far away from the actual sun do you reckon um, one of the space uh, crafts that we can make these days can get to? How close? Throw out a number. Sorry? No further than Mercury. <laughs> very good, very good. Have a throw it out there. You can't even comprehend it, right? You, 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 it's, it's, it's mad. I read 60 million kilometres. That's extraordinary. That holiness is so good and spectacular of this sun, but to get too close to it, just because of its goodness, it's not because you're evil or wicked in this illustration, you burn up. And that's not even to touch it, to get near it. And God's holiness is so spectacular. His whole earth is full of his glory. In some ways, he's like the sun. And Isaiah is processing this. How does he, how does he deal with this God? How does he, this experience impact Isaiah? Well, I think he has this moment of overwhelming clarity. And it was more, he was freaked out as we heard with Magnus. He was freaked out, but it's way more than that, actually. Have a look with verse 5 with me. Thank you. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I have a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is saying, I'm the spacecraft that has got closer than 60 million kilometers. I shouldn't be here. I'm in big trouble. Why? Because he says, woe to me. The Old Testament's way of saying, I'm absolutely now in big trouble. I'm in a bad place. I will be destroyed in my current state. This is not okay for me to see this, even though it's so good. And he says, because I am ruined. I can't deal with this and cope with this. Why? Because of his state in relation to the holy, the holy God. 
What does he say? I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He's saying, I, God is perfectly pure and I'm not. So how could I actually be in God's presence? This doesn't work. Isaiah's overwhelming clarity is the clarity that we should have when it comes to God's magnificent holiness and our position before him. Isaiah talks about his people and he knows very well that they all have unclean lips, even those that are seeking to honour God. The nation is actually very far from God and in rebellion. And all of humanity, all of humanity faces this plight. See, this is not just being scared to meet your hero. This is when someone is so spectacular, I can't actually be in the presence. And what clarity we get with Isaiah's encounter with God is that with uh, his encounter with God brings us to a reality all humanity has that we are not able to be in his presence. You see the problem we have? The whole of Christianity's point is that we are, can have a relationship with God. But if we, flipped, um, if we flipped to the New Testament and saw that, well, actually all of us have turned away from God. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here we see all of God's glory and splendor fills the whole earth. We need to be pure. That's why in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus is devoted to the fact that we need to be ritually pure as well as, as, well as deal with our sin because we're so out of step. But then there's more to the encounter. And part two, as we see, come up. Um, on the screen. Yeah, keep going. Just to highlight. Uh, yeah, keep going. Highlight. Yeah, part two. God does something weird. To make it okay. God does something very weird to make it okay. Now, I, I may have put verse 6 before that, did I? If that's all right, go back. Yeah, thank you. Verse 6. Have a look at what he does. What Isaiah encountered. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. Now, just think of that for a moment in this vision. You saw how weird that creature was and how strange and how overwhelming. And now it's flying to you. Like, what is going on? And he's flying. Verse 6 again, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. Like he can't even touch this coal. And then verse 7, With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. That is extraordinary. So at a, at a high level, what's taken place is there. God has done something to deal with this barrier that Isaiah has. He has made him clean, albeit in this very strange way. But actually, the way he's made him clean is a bit of a contradiction or a difference to the reality of how you get clean. Let's take, let's take our COVID for ex an example. Um, 
as some of you may have noticed, as we all have around the world, when COVID hit, what was, what was the biggest problem with COVID? Tell me, what, what was the biggest problem? Infectiousness. And, it, what, and what had happened was, we, it was so, you know, it, it really, really moved fast that to be in someone else's presence with COVID meant you had a very high likelihood of it being transferred to you. What never happened if you were in someone else's presence with COVID? I'm going to pick on you again uh, now, Kieran. You've got COVID. What never happened uh, with me and, and, and Kieran right now? Well, yeah, we, we couldn't touch each other because you get it. But what never, ever happened is my purity... You're not the impure one in this story, just to point out. Uh, no, sorry. My purity never transferred over to you and you no longer had COVID. That never happened. That's not how it works. But the amazing thing about this passage here and this strange story is it's, the other, it's a reversal. The guilt is taken away. The pure one makes the impure, the impure clean. What does this mean? What, what is happening? Well, God gave Isaiah this encounter because his whole ministry, the rest of his encounter with God as his prophet is going to be about God telling him to go and say things. And those things he's going to tell the people are going to be about the fact that they're unclean, they're impure, and there might be a bit of hope. There might be a way of dealing with it. His message will be that. Let's have a read on from verse 8. Um, it should be up on the screen. And I'm just going to read it. And I just want you to take in how, at this moment, how serious the, the picture is. This is what Isaiah is told by God he has to say after he said, I'm willing to go. Verse 8 to 13. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And now the clean Isaiah says, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and tell his people, everything will be okay. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. That's not what he says. It gets pretty dark. Verse 9, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they may not see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie in ruin and without inhabitant, until those houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, he'll again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leaves stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Isaiah, your job is to tell the people they have been unclean and not just ritually, in rebellion constantly because they keep on not listening to my cries for repentance. You need to go and tell the people. Now, the bit of context there, hopefully the pictures will come up on the screen that I've got here to show you. Um, is there an image? Yeah, there. The whole picture of the Bible, where does Isaiah fit in? Can you see there how there's a fork in the road in that picture? See, 
God's people got so rebellious, there was a time when instead of being one nation, they split into two. They had a northern and southern kingdom. Uh, and they were in such rebellion that other nations came to destroy them. And as you can see here in this picture, as I break it down, the kingdom was divided into two. And on the southern kingdom, Isaiah came at a period when the people were in such rebellion they were facing the Assyrians wiping them out, which they'd already done with the northern kingdom. And later on in his ministry, near the end, the Babylonians come. A period of his ministry, you could argue, is quite a long time there, 740 to 681. And in this context of rebellion, what do we see? Isaiah, make the heart of this people calloused. It's your job and go... And tell the people, woe, you are ruined. You are unclean and it is a disaster. The holy God can no longer put up with your sin. You are ruined. My call for repentance have gone on. Death is, now there is judgment. And if we were going through the book of Isaiah bit by bit, there's quite a few chapters. Have you read Isaiah before? There's 52 chapters. Amazing book. to reference so much in the New Testament. And so much of it is pointing out all the different ways this problem takes place. But did you notice at the bottom of uh, verse 13 there? Um, but the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. There is a glimmer of hope. Because Isaiah's message also had to tell the people, part three, Isaiah, you need to tell the people about the burning altar coal. There is going to be hope in the future that we are going to have a pure one make impure people pure, just like the coal did to you. And you're going to give them that hope. And Isaiah does it in so many spectacular ways. In the later part of the book, there's this uh, well-known, uh, what called the 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 servant songs the the servant songs and there's a there's a verse that we'll get to in a moment that you know very well it's been immortalized in kids uh, songs as well and Isaiah you're to tell the people that there will be one one type of coal but in fact it won't be coal and it won't be coming from an altar like that it will be it will be a perfect perfect servant suffering on the altar in your place and he will be completely pure and he will take on your impurities and deal with them go to verse uh, um, i didn't put it up in in, in the readings but I, I, i'm just going to read to you uh, chapter 40 of isaiah he says right at this point comfort comfort my people after so much devastation comfort comfort my people says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's going to be dealt with. And then listen to verse 3 and see if these uh, words ring true. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain. 
and the glory of the Lord will be revealed and the people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice of one calling in the desert. And we jump all the way to Mark's gospel and those words are quoted as Jesus turns up and God declares he is his one. John says, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. That's the biggest understatement in the world now that we've looked at Isaiah, isn't it? And this God who is so perfect comes into the world. And he is the one who is going to do this coal work. When Jesus came, what were some of the things he did? If you've um, read the stories of the Gospels, what were some of the actual things that Jesus did? Not say, but did when he turned up before he died. He healed people. And when he healed people, what did he often do? Someone was bleeding, he'd go and touch them. He's doing exactly the cold thing. When someone was dying and he touched them and healed them, the lepers, and he'd say, you are healed. And they couldn't believe you were touching something unclean. You couldn't do that. But the pure one was showing he can make the unclean clean. How spectacular. What does this mean for us? Well, if we jump back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, and we've got this up on the screen, we see exactly where it's heading, exactly what Jesus is going to do. All these hundreds of years earlier, we find out that God's plan wasn't to leave us saying, woe, we are ruined, but to come and make us clean. Now read with me Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hid their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Verse 5, take it in. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. You see, Jesus, the perfectly good and holy one, who we so aren't like Isaiah when he came and thought how great and good is God, he was seen to be pathetic, basically, and to be despised. But he, in verse 5, by his wounds we are healed. His death, the coal from the altar, heals us. We can be in the presence of God. The holy God is going to step into our mess and make us holy. And the whole encounter that God had with Isaiah was to tell the people the danger of not understanding God does it and that there is hope. And we, all these hundreds of years later, see this 
we are reminded on this beautiful Sunday morning, God wants us to be pure and in relationship with him. And we have got no chance to do it ourselves, so stop thinking that way. But see Jesus, who came and showed that that's what he's planning to do with all of his actions and healings, and then went to the cross and was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, wounded so that we could be healed. What a spectacular picture we have. See, what does Isaiah's encounter with God teach us? The first thing I want to say to you is, our concept of God's holiness, His uniqueness, His difference, it's not just about His character and goodness, which is part of it. It's far bigger than that. He is so different to us. He is so much bigger than our understanding can possibly imagine. But what we do know is the great and good God, we can't just arrogantly walk into His presence. In fact, we can't even get anywhere near His magnificence because it's also dangerous. But that's not the end of the story for you. Because God wants you to know that He wants you to be with Him in all eternity in perfection. That it's not about you earning your place as if you can wipe away your rebellion your impurity. Jesus, in this amazing paradox on the cross, the perfect one, is doing it for you. He has done it for you. You see, what we take away from this extraordinary encounter is like Isaiah, an extraordinary humility to see God as he truly is. So much bigger and different and spectacular and glorious to us. And to see ourselves with no hope except for Jesus, who is the coal we desperately need. So as we go away today, I think, The question for us, first of all, is to ask, have you accepted Jesus and Him making you clean? Because it's there for you. You you never, ever, ever, and we do this as Christians even when we have, sometimes revert back to thinking, but I'm not good enough for God. And you can see how much folly that is. When God is saying to you, I know you're not good enough for me. That's why I'm dealing with it for you. I have done it. You can come to God and say, I come to you like Isaiah, woe and ruined. But in Jesus, thank you for saving me. But secondarily, I want to go back to Isaiah 6. Because what did Isaiah's encounter with God lead him to do did you see it there five words that are powerful 
in what our lives should be shaped by. He says to God, when God asked a challenge, in verse 8 he says, Here am I. Send me. When the God who's glorious and spectacular of all the universe steps into it and saves you and makes you clean, our heart should be like Isaiah's. Nothing is off the table, God. What you want, we want. Here we are. Send us for whatever you will. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wow, you are spectacular. You are so mighty and glorious. Help us day by day just to see it a little bit clearer and to see how spectacular it is that you sent your Son into this world to make us holy. Thank you for Jesus. Amen.